Now, if you've been following along with us for a little while, you know that we've been talking about the idea of, of God's prospering of his people. Now, whenever we start talking about that subject, there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. But we can't say that because somebody got this theology wrong at one point in history, we never teach the right understanding of God's prospering of his people. It's in the scriptures. We need to learn from it and hold fast to it all of our days. But there is a understanding, as we talked about several weeks ago, of reaping and sowing and that perpetual receiving from the Lord based on whether or not fundamentally you are following his commands in all of your life. He promises to bless those who trust him and obey him. The Bible makes that painfully clear. He also promises that he curses those who reject his commandments. The Bible makes that painfully clear as well. And today, as we dig a little bit deeper and start to learn more, what we're really going to understand is our connection of faith to this particular theology. Would you pray with me this morning as we get ready? Father, thank you so much. I pray that you would teach us, instruct us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us today to believe your word is true and to obey it. And we thank you that you are already moving in our hearts at this very moment by the power of your Holy Spirit to instruct us in such a way. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Deuteronomy chapter eight, we're gonna read verses one through 20, then we're gonna begin. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know what make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Listen, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Now watch. It flips a little bit in verse 11. Are you watching? Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. You see? who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery servants and with scorpions and with thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know 
that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord. Promises and warnings. Blessings and cursings. All in one place. And the hinge pin on all of these subjects is our faith. Do you see it? And, and these promises are everywhere, especially Deuteronomy is a book of promises. I just want to run through some of them really fast for you. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 11. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. In the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give you. Go to the next verse, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. Not some of the work. Amen. Not some of it. All of the work of your hands and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 9. I'm telling you, there. There's a ton. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 2. And these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in the book of Deuteronomy. We, we can't escape it. It's promises on promises on promises. Now, the, these promises aren't automatic, okay? They're not automatic, and they're not instantaneous, and they're not unconditional. They have requirements, as we've said over and over and over again. De Deuteronomy 29, verse 9 says, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper. And there's lots of other verses like that. But he makes it very clear that if we obey him, then he will bless Okay, listen, I got it. For some of us, this is like, it makes, you, it makes you almost crawl out of your skin because you're thinking about all the prosperity false gospel preachers that exist out there in the world. And I know that's a heresy. I got it. God's not a vending machine. But what the promise says over and over again is that if we obey him, he will bless. He will. He will. If we trust him and follow his commands, he will Bless. So what really? We're people of the Bible. Amen? Amen. We believe the Bible no matter what. We believe the Bible is true no matter what. But what is it about these passages that make us go? Ugh. I think it's three things. Okay. 
and we've got to get over it. I got, I got three things here. If we are going to claim to be people of the Bible who believe the Bible in all of life, all of life for all of Christ, amen? If that's who we are, then we must believe these passages true as well, because we are the people of God. We've talked about that a ton. Uh, the church is the new Israel. We saw that swing happen in the New Testament whenever the current Israel said, may we be judged for the death of Jesus. They, they said that. May his blood be on our children and our children's children. You remember that whenever Israel was before Pilate? They said pour out the curses upon us. And at that moment, the shifting of God's people went from a nation to faith, okay? Israel, the church, that's who we are now. So when we read the Old Testament and we see the word Israel inserted again and again and again and again, what we must understand is that that's us now. That's We're God's people. We are God's chosen nation, the church itself. So why don't we believe these particular promises? They translate to us. They move forward to us. What's our biggest problem? All right, well, there's three reasons. Number one, we don't believe it. Number two, we don't do it. And the last one, number three, is that we just aren't patient. <laughs> I, think, I think that's it. We don't believe it, okay? We don't do it, and we're not patient. Okay, let me do with the first one. You ready? Here we go. First... We don't believe it's true. We don't believe these promises. Now, isn't that, isn't, isn't that interesting? Because we proclaim a profound, miraculous gospel that God came to earth as a man, died, lived a sinless life, died for us on a cross, was raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven and healed and provided miracles all along the way. We believe this profound, miraculous, powerful gospel. But when he says he's going to prosper us on earth, we get skeptical. Right? You, if you're a Christian in this room, you believe that God sent his son to earth to die for you because he loves you that much. You believe that fundamentally. And you believe that Jesus was raised out of the dead and he performed all the miracles that he said he performed. He did every last one of them. And when the, the Bible says that God promises to prosper his people on earth, we say, well, I don't know about that. That's crazy. Do you see, you see that, right? Or when we get pragmatic, right? We get pragmatic or we get experience-based. Well, preacher, I don't know. I don't know that I've seen that in my personal life. You, now we bring up personal experiences? Okay, let's play with personal experiences. Let's go. I don't mind. Let's go right now. I've seen God heal diseases miraculously. And if you're in this room and have been here for three or four years, you have too. And you can name the stories. We've seen... God rescue families from disastrous situations that they didn't even know were on the horizon, right? And if you've been in this church for three or four years, you've seen it too. You've seen it happen. We have seen God draw people out of literal dishes, out of, out of literal ditches, okay? And, and bushes on drugs so bad, no one thought they could ever come back from them or worse, 
and they've been drawn into this body, redeemed by a living God their entire life and been saved and now live fruitful, exponentially joyous life for Jesus and his people. And if you've been in this church for four or five years, you've seen it too. And now we want to say, well, I just don't know if I believe these promises of God because I just haven't experienced it yet. Give me a break. You've experienced profoundly more. No, it cannot be that we don't believe God can prosper his people according to his promises because of our personal experience. We've seen much more miraculous things than that. Much more. So why don't we believe it? Simply because we choose not to. And we need to repent. So, first, we don't believe it. Second, maybe it's because we just don't do it. Okay, let's go. You ready? Y'all still going to love me when we're done with this sermon today? We still, Just go ahead and decide in your seats right now that we're still friends. I'm not coming too hard at you, although I am because I love you. Here we go. I think partly, partly some of it might be just because we don't do it. If you want to reap a harvest, what do you got to do? You got you to put the seed in the ground, right? If you, if you want to reap a harvest, you got to sow. It, do you want a strong marriage? Everybody's like, of course I do. Well, guess what that means? That you got to put the work in now. And if you have not been putting the work in up to this point, then that means you got to repent, confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins to the Lord and to others. Repent and invest in your spouse. You want a strong marriage? You got to sow loving your spouse more than you love yourself. You have to. God just doesn't be like, poof, strong marriage. <laughs> you got to sow for it. You got to work for it. You got to invest in it. You want godly kids? God doesn't just be like, poof, godly kids. Although sometimes he does pour out an exorbitant amount of grace, and we are grateful for that. Amen, church? We are grateful for that. But if you want godly kids, what does the Bible say that you need to do? You need to raise them in what? In the fear and admonition of the Lord in all of life. Uh, if you have not listened to our Sunday School on Education, I would greatly encourage you to do so. It's on YouTube. It's on the Internet. You can go to church Facebook. You can find it everywhere. But it's about forming the whole person, okay? You want to raise godly kids? You got to raise them in their rising up and in their laying down. You got to build a family culture. You got to start traditions. You got to do holidays the right way. You got to do routines. You got to do family liturgies. You got to do it all around Jesus and his promises. You want godly kids? You got to sow before you can have that harvest. Do you see what I'm saying? If you want to reap, you must sow. You want a good job? This is not hard right? If you want a good job, what do you got to do? You can say it. That's okay. You got to work, <laughs> right? If you want a good job, you got to work hard. You got to hustle. You got to beat the bushes. You got to honor the Lord's day. Amen. Amen. You got to tithe. Amen. Amen. You got to do all those things. You want a good job? You got to work hard. Don't steal. Don't steal from the Lord. Tithe keeps the Lord's day. All of those things. You want a strong financial position so that your children can have something to inherit? The Bible says that a godly father lays up an inheritance for who? Not just his children, but what? 
his children's children. That's a lot of sowing, <laughs> right? That's a lot of sowing now. But God promises that there's a harvest that comes. You want a strong financial position? Tithe, be generous, care for the poor, keep the Lord's day. It's not complicated. All of those statements are based on promises from the scriptures. What makes it complicated is our lack of faith because it's us not trusting God's promises ultimately. God says he'll do it. God says he will bless you with a harvest if you sow. He says it. He makes it clear. You want to raise godly kids? Teach them. Raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord all of life. You want a good job? Work hard. God says it'll come. You want a strong financial position? Tithe. Be generous to the poor. Keep the Lord's day. God says it'll come. You want a strong marriage? Invest in your marriage. And God says it'll come. He promises it. He promises. It's not complicated. We need faith to believe these promises so that we can then move in that direction. So how do we get faith? Well, first we repent. We said that already. If you don't do it, it's because you don't believe it's true and you need God's faith to fix you. So first you repent, believe, go to the Lord and you ask him for faith. Romans 10, 17, we referenced this in Sunday school a ton of times this morning. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, verse 17. In other words, read his promises, believe them. And if you have trouble, ask God to help you believe them. God, your promises are true and I believe them, even though I don't believe them. (laughs) What was the famous statement from the scriptures? Do you remember? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's us. That's us. God, I hear your promises. I believe them, but I don't help me. (laughs) You can say that. That's a truth. God, you said it and I believe you. Even though I don't really believe you right now, I'm working really hard, though. Help me to believe you. That's Bible. Read his promises, believe them, and if you have trouble, ask God to help you believe them. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given. If you don't believe, ask God to help you believe, and he will help you believe, because he said he will. Now, preacher, hold on a second. I just said I don't have faith, and you're telling me to ask God and then believe in faith that he's going to give me faith. That's exactly what I said. And you steep yourself in the Bible. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Hear it proclaimed. If you're not in the um, in our Bible reading plan, churchwide Bible reading plan, I would encourage you to jump in. We, the slides run before and after the service. You can jump in at any point. Don't feel like you have to catch up because we're like 70 or, oh, thank, look at you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, JL. Look at that young book back there doing his thing. You can jump in at any point. Just start four, five, six chapters every day, and it changes so much about your life. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generally to all, generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. If you then, this is Luke chapter 11, verse 13, listen to this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is a gift giver and we are his children. And if you don't believe him, just ask him to fix it. You know, you know what I love about my kids is, is they have the gift of, of impotence. Have you ever heard that word before? Impotence? and they get it from their dad. 
Okay. I have a disposition. I don't, for those of you who know me very well, I have a disposition to ask for forgiveness and not necessarily permission. Do y'all know that? Yeah. For those of you that know me, you know, that's kind of how I work just in a general operational point in life. But I also just ask a lot of things too. Can we do this? What about this? What if we try this? We can also do that. And my kids do that too. <laughs> and it's great because it's me. Dad, can we do this? Oh gosh, they're asking. Yes, I guess we can. I love to give my kids the things that they ask for. How much more does God want to hear our requests? Amen? I can have that? Yes, you can. That's what the Lord is trying to tell us through his words here. God is a gift giver. We are his children. If you don't believe him and trust him, ask him to change you. And he says, yes. So we don't believe it. That's the first problem that we have. We just don't do it. That's the second problem that we have. We need faith to fix that. We don't do it. We don't believe it. And lastly, we're not patient. And this one's short. This is the thing about harvesting. There's time involved. We talked about this several times over the last couple of weeks during this sermon series. There's time involved in a harvest. There's a space between sowing and reaping in which we must be patient. It doesn't say the moment the seed goes in the ground, you have a harvest. That's not how agriculture works in any form or fashion. You sow and over time you reap. That's why the Bible says things like we talked about last week. Do not grow weary in your good doing for in due season you will reap. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord and he will bless. So believe the promises all the way and be patient. And if you believe the promises... Go back to the very beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. If you believe the promises, it says, the, the whole commandment that I command you today, shall be care, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to you, to give to your fathers. And if you believe, you will obey. And if you obey, God will say it with me, bless. He will. That's what he says. You will go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to your fathers if you shall be careful to do what I have said. God's promises, God promises to not just provide for you, but to grow you over the course of generations. Now that's pretty cool. But that, I'm not saying billionaires in this lifetime, although, you know, possible, sure, in, in crypto markets do crazy things at times, but, but God will across generations grow you in your lineage. What does that mean? Get this. That means that for those of you in this room that got a late start, I wasn't a Christian until I was 18 years old. Okay. Late start, right? Some of y'all are like preacher. I got, I'm like 40. Listen, just listen to me. Okay. Just listen. If you got a late start, that means don't despair. Well, who else got a late start in the Bible? How about Paul, right? Paul got an incredibly behind, behind start, incredibly late start. And did that stop him from fruitfulness? Not a chance. Paul was more fruitful than any of the other apostles were, it looks like. He had exponential amounts of fruitfulness in his life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. God's promises determine your future, not your past. Let me say that a different way. What you've done 
okay? The mistakes that you've made are not the determining factors about what God's going to do with you for the rest of your life. Do you hear me? The sins that you have in the past, the, the mistakes that you've made in the past, all this stuff that's going on back there is not what God says he bases his promises on. He bases his promises on your faithfulness now. You get it? That's it. That's it. That's it. Maybe you've made some terrible mistakes. Okay, great. Confess, repent, and trust the Lord and believe the promises that he makes because they're true. Karma's not true. Y'all know what I mean when I say karma? Not karma chameleon, but you know, like karma, karma. You do bad things, you get bad things. You do good things, you get good things. That's what karma is. That's not true. That's a lie. Kar karma's not true. Also, Disney, not true. I know this is shocking, but I'm telling you the truth. Disney, false. If you believe it hard enough, you can have... No, that's that's terrible. <laughs> the whole dream is a wish your heart makes nonsense. If you dream it, you can do it. That's not true. Disney, not true. Karma, not true. God's promises are true. That's the truth of the gospel. Did God say it? Then you can trust it. And so accordingly that you may reap a harvest in the future and get ready because once this starts happening, okay, listen, listen, once you trust the Lord in this way, he is going to put your maturity in a microwave. Do you know what I'm talking about? Whenever I say that, like he, like he is going to speed up your Christian discipleship, your Christian discipline, your, your, your growth exponentially. Once you get to the point where you trust him here, because now now he's got something he can work with. Here, here's what I mean. Go to verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Look at verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God put them in the wilderness as a consequence. That's true. But that wasn't the only consequence that he gave them. He was testing them. Why? To mature them. You ever heard the expression, God won't give you more than you can handle? You ever heard that expression before? Now, we've all got thoughts and opinions about that expression, and I'm not going to do a sermon exegeting a saying. But I will say this. In a sense, that's true but not in the way that you think it is, okay? God won't give you more than you can handle. And oftentimes we put that in a, in a bad scenario context, don't we? God's not going to give me something too hard that I can't handle. That I would, I'd probably be like, nah, he's going to give you some, he's going to give you some hard stuff that you can't handle because you got to go to him all the time. I, I would, I would interpret it more that way, but let me flip it the other way. God is also not going to give you blessings that you're not ready to handle yet. Do you know what I'm saying? This is true. And this is why you got to get so far and then raise your kids from where you left off to go farther. This is why lottery winners always blow their money within a couple of years and enter into mass depression. Because it's not a blessing, it's a curse. Because they're not mature enough to handle that degree of finance. You, you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen somebody who's like, they got an inheritance 
and they weren't ready for it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen this happen in somebody's life? Bro, I got like a chick for $14,000, right? And they're like, that's a lot of money. Uh, many of y'all are sitting in here like, oh, that's not a lot of money. You can go through 14 grand real fast. And then they do. Because it wasn't a blessing, it was a curse. Because they weren't mature enough to handle it. Do you see what I'm saying? So the idea that God won't give you something that you can't handle, amen. He will give us what our maturity can handle. Why? Because he's growing you and he's preserving you and he's giving you a trajectory to take with your family for the next several generations. You're his, you're his. Do you feel stretched in your life right now? Some of y'all are like, why are you reading my mail, Stuart? Just listen, just listen. Do you feel stretched in your life right now? Do you feel like, oh gosh, I just, I'm gonna crash at any second. Do you feel like that? Do you wanna know what that is? That's the Lord stretching you. Now, if you only do that all the time and forever, you will probably pop at some point, right? But the Lord does stretch you in seasons, right? He puts a ton on your plate. He gives you a lot of responsibility. He gives you fruitful. He gives you, he gives you work to be fruitful with. He sends you out to do that work, and that's a good gift. You feel stressed out? Yes, the Lord's doing something. <laughs> you know, it's profound. You feel like you got too much in your plate? Amen. The Lord's doing something. Keep your priorities your priorities. Follow the Lord. Take care of your family. Be a good wife, husband, father, mo mother. You know, do all those things. Hold your responsibilities in correct order. But if you feel like you got too much on your plate, sweet. Fruitfulness. Amen? And fruit's heavy. Fruit's heavy. Make sure that it's fruitful for the Lord and follow him in all of those things. But God is intentionally, he gave them difficulties in the wilderness to grow them, to preserve them, to mature them, and to strengthen them. Did you notice something, by the way? Did you notice something? That generation that died in the wilderness, the generation that came right after them, you read Joshua? Go read Joshua and read it slow because every nation that they went against was terrified. In other words, God spent 40 years Sure, punishing and killing one generation and judging them, but he spent 40 years raising up the next one to make serious war. And they were warriors. They were strong. They were capable. And they obliterated the enemies that were before them. Because God was growing them. In that season of despair and, and whining and complaining and where's the water? You know, all that stuff, God was maturing his people and refining them to the point where they were ready to make war, where they were ready to conquer and fight and move far. That's what we need to believe. Your gods feel stretched. Great. That means he's growing you. He's stretching you. He's maturing you. He's testing you in that time of testing. Prove faithful. Amen. Prove to be faithful. The point is that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. He won't give you anything you can't handle. Agreed. He won't give you anything you're not ready for yet. So make yourself ready. Israel had to be made ready for their land. They had to be made ready for it. And God spent time making them ready for it. Make yourself ready. Be matured. Be refined. And that maturity leads to 
some really cool stuff. Skip down to verse 7. Go to Deuteronomy 8 again. Skip down to verse 7. We're going to do 7 through 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones in whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. He's like, I'm taking you into this phenomenal land. A land with, with fruit and fresh water. A land that you're never going to run out of bread. A land where there's iron and, and, and copper by the abundance in the hills. But what do you got to do to get the fruit? You got to pick it, right? You got to plant the trees, right? You got to take care of the trees. You got to prune them back at the appropriate time. What do you got to do to to get the bread? Well, you you should read this great book about a little red hen and her bread. Y'all don't know about that book? Sorry, I'm from the country and we read weird books growing up. Y'all y'all know? Okay, good. You got to plant the seed and you got to tend the wheat and you got to chop the wheat and you got to dry it out and you got to thresh it and then you got to grind it and then you got to. There's a lot of work involved. What do you got to do to get the water? You got to dig the wells. And you got to clean them and you got to take care of them and preserve them. What do you do to get the iron? You got to mine it out. What do you do to get the copper? You got to dig it out of the hills. In other words, what do you do to get all of these blessings? You got to work for it. You see, here's, this is so cool. Okay, you ready? Here's what's cool. Israel, slaves in Egypt, okay, had everything provided for them. That's why whenever they went into the wilderness, what did they say? Man, we really miss our leeks and onions. <laughs> they were slaves, okay? But they were slaves who didn't have to think about their day-to-day. They were slaves who, who didn't have to, to fight to take care of themselves, right? They didn't have to work hard. They didn't have to do anything. They had everything that they needed provided for themselves. They just were slaves. And then Israel got into the wilderness, and that model continued, didn't it? Because God provided for them everything that they needed to live, While they were in the wilderness, God gave them the water from rock. God gave them manna from heaven. God sent them meat whenever they needed it. God made sure that their their feet didn't swell and that their shoes never wore out. God took care of them. But then whenever they go into the promised land, what happens? No manna, no quail, no more free water. Because they're free people now. Do you get it? See, to be free means now you got to work. Maybe let me give us a more contemporary illustration that might help lay this out better. The modern day welfare system is a type of slavery. Okay. It's, I'm just going to lay that out because you are promised that the state will care for you, will take care of you, will meet all your needs and provide for you as long as you don't get a job. Right? I just had some friends of mine who went through this, who, who, who now they don't qualify for certain benefits because they decided to repent and get married and work hard and start making money. And so now they're, they're in a worse financial situation now that they're trying to become independent than they were at first. Isn't that nuts? That's crazy because it's bondage. Do you see? 
to be free, to be free, means that now freedom requires effort. Uh, just, just imagine this. Imagine uh, the the political and and religious persecution that was happening to the Puritans whenever they came over to live in America. They came over to America why? So that they could have religious freedom. But what did they leave behind? Everything. They left behind economic structures. They left behind hospitals. They left behind educational structures. They left everything behind and they came here to be free, which means they started over. They had to build their hospitals. They had to build their schools. They had to build their towns. They had to build their governmental systems. They had to start from nothing. But they were free. Do you get it? We want freedom. freedom. But I think we're afraid of the amount of work that it will require us to be free. We hate living and operating under a government-regulated healthcare system that continues to demoralize, diminish, and ineffectively care for our people. We've watched people die in it, right? We've seen it happen. We are tired of living in a governmental regulated educational era in which they don't know what boys and girls are anymore. And it's what we feel like we must send our children to in order for them to have a career. That's not freedom. So what does that mean? We got to start over. We got to start from scratch. We got to build schools. We got to build universities. We got to build hospitals. We got to build primary care. We got to do all of it again, because that's what freedom costs. Do you get it? We want to be free from all of these things. And that means it's time for us to put our hands to work. True freedom means work. And that means that it's time for us to cultivate the faith of believing God's promises now. You want to be able to go and work that hard and build from nothing an institution that will one day educate your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren? You want to start from nothing and build a hospital that will care for generations from now the right way? You can't do it if you don't believe God's promise. You can't do it if you don't believe that God promises to prosper his people if they will obey him. Do you get it? We have to. You want to be free? Let's be free. But we've got a lot of work to do it. God has sent us out. Okay? Out for our true freedom. So we need to believe his, his gospel promises and get to work. Trust God, believe his promises. God can take you, okay, where you are right now and press you down and make you exponentially fruitful for generations to come. He can do it. He can take you 
and get you to start those schools, colleges, hospitals that will transform society for the rest of the generations. God can take you and use you to change the hearts of children around you, even if they're not your own kids, to turn them to follow the Lord and be discipled and, and raised in his fear and admonition that they may change the world exponentially over generations to come. God can take you and do it. Now you might look at yourself and think, I don't know though, because I ain't that great. Preacher, you don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that great. Stop. Stop. Because God made a promise to you about you and he's the one that's going to keep it. God made a promise to you about you and the generations that would come after you, and he's the one that's going to see it fulfilled, not you. Don't you dare look at your life and say, I don't know if God can do it. That's blasphemous. I don't know if God can fulfill his promise. I don't know if God can do what he said he's going to do. Repent. That's not what the Bible teaches. God knows where the resources are. God knows what his promises are. He's in charge not you. You can lead lost souls to find the Lord. You can. You can, can lead broken families to be healed again. You can, can overcome adversity and suffering and trials, and God sends those things to make his people stronger. I mean, just think, of, do, you, do you know what silicon is made? Let's just, here's an analogy for you, okay? You know what silicon is made of? Who knows? You know what it's made of? dirt. Amen. Let's pray. No, listen, serious, okay? Silicon, the computer chips, that's made out of sand, right? It's like, it's like sand ordered and arrayed in such a way that now we have these super mega amazing computer machines that change the world. God did that. God knows what his resources are. And he allocates them in the way that he would. The idea that the world is going to run out of resources due to overpopulation is a secularist, communist idea. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God promises to provide for his people. And do you know that every time when it looked like all of the earth was just about to use up its resources, God sent a revolution and advancement and technology on the earth that exponentially increased them. Well, guys, we can't produce enough fabric. What are we going to do? Boom, the loom was invented. Guys, we can't harvest cotton fast enough. Boom, the cotton gin was invented. Guys, we can't print. We can't print enough material for all these people in the world to, to own books. The printing press was invented. Industrial agriculture was invented. Commercial, commercial agriculture was invented. All of these things to transform and exponentially increase the fruitfulness of human beings that they may be provided for were based on God's promise. I don't know if God could do it. He's done it, done it, done it, done it. He's been doing it. He's been doing it for thousands of years. I don't know that he can do it with me. Repent. Because he promises that he will. He promises. If we could get this down deep in our hearts, it would change everything about how we live, about how we die, about how we sow into our lives, 
We've got to believe his promises. You have to. The world is depending on it. So you look around your life and you see failure. Okay. You look around your life and you see disaster and calamity. You look around your life and you're hopeless because you're like, I don't think God can do it. Repent and look with eyes of repentance and faith. God can do a lot with a willing vessel. Look at the life of Paul. Look at Adoniram Judson, like we talked about last week. Look at the lives of the martyrs and how their blood grew the church exponentially for years to come. Look at all of church history. Look at the water that God drew out of the rocks. Look at the gold that he promises to bring out of the hills. Look at his promises and trust him. Repent and trust his ways and watch. There is no difference between you and Adoniram Judson or George Whitfield or Martin Luther or Abraham Kuyper. There is no difference between you and them outside of your faith. Let's pray.